Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. This is Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and today I am joined by uh, mining executive Ivan Bebek. Ivan, how are you today? Doing very well, thank you. Great to be here. Uh, good. Yeah, no, th- thanks for joining us. And where are you physically sitting right now, besides well, your could... living room? Or... Oh, no, I'm in the office in Vancouver, downtown Vancouver, at the head oh. office of our, of our company. Yeah, so. Oh, beautiful. During my... another day of summer. Yeah, one of my favorite places in the world. And uh, it's also the center of all the mining exploration companies globally. So it's, oh, it's, uh, it certainly is. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. And hopefully, you're surviving the pandemic as well as could be expected. Yeah, I'm a cross-border family, so my kids and wife are American. So I've been going back and forth. I've quarantined four times, so about sixty days with the family, which. It's got its own advantages. I mean, getting more time with the family and less time on the plane has been good. And and obviously a, a lot of work in the background and we've worked harder during COVID than we did before COVID as a company. So it's it's been busy yeah. and fun taking the best of it. Yeah, good, good. Uh, well, Ivan, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education. Sure, sure. I came into this business 22 years ago. I came out of university and I became a stockbroker at 22 years old. And uh, I set a goal to go out and and do some great things for myself, my family, and friends, and you know, learn quickly that I was resonating more with the corporate side versus the brokerage side, but developed a pretty keen ability to raise capital. And so while I was doing that, it was the dot-com era. I was uh, looking at things to invest my clients' money into, and I'd read a book by Warren Buffett called Buffettology, and I learned what a, being a contrarian was all about. And when I looked at the two $300 IPOs, which seemed expensive at the time, Google and all of those ones, yeah. um, they didn't make sense to me. I was not knowledgeable enough to go and, and, and pay that for these companies, which have subsequently done well. So I started buying Kinross at 80 cents, Eldorado Gold at 30 cents, you know, some household names in the business. And my dad was a developer, but he was involved with a gentleman in the mining business named Dr. Romish Kalanka, who found seven major mines around the world. And so I, I bought their entire float and some of their junior companies that uh, Roman had and eventually went over from the brokerage to go work with him. And I sat at his desk for two hours a day for probably three years, learning every single color, every single line on the page and what made a good project, what made a big project, what made a small project, learned a lot about geopolitical risk and in the mining business. And from there, as I was working with Roman, you know, I, I finally matured to go out on my own. I met a guy by the name of Sean Wallace, who's working at the Hunter Dickinson Group, a very prominent mining group at the time, finding, building mines and developing mines. And uh, Sean and I looked at each other. We met through a tennis coach that we both played tennis. And we said, hey, look, you know, we work with great guys, but one day we want to be our own bosses and, and, and go make our own mark. So we wanted to go find five million ounces of gold. And we started Keegan in 2005 and we successfully did that. I still remember that the facts that we got on this project in Ghana, which was very compelling, you know, a lot of gold on surface, a lot of people mining it artisanally, but never drilled and basically looking the source of a plaster gold system. 
So we went out there to go do that. Five million ounces later, the company went from 50 cents to $9 per share, about a $900 million market cap. We thought we had achieved the perfect success, but you know, our, our model is to find it and sell it versus find it and build it. However, um, we ended up building that mine. It's Galliano Gold today, produces over 200,000 ounces of gold. And then we started Caden in 2011, and we sold it in 2014 to Agnico Eagle. Uh, for about 200 million after we drilled 100 drill holes. In this case, we didn't find the, the 5 million ounces, but we found a very compelling large scale district. You know, it was a lot of potential. There was gold there, but uh, definitely a lot of upside potential. And capitalizing there really turned the events. Um, you know, we found some great geologists, a lot of former global experts from Newmont along the way. And then we went out to go and lead the world globally on raising over 100 million from 2015 to 2020 to go after the world's biggest discoveries. And that's kind of how I got to where we are today. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Uh, it, it, it doesn't explain to me how you went from being a stockbroker to an exploration uh, entrepreneur. That, that's a big jump there. So I love risk because with great risk comes great reward, right? Yeah, and yeah. The problem with being a stockbroker, and, and I, my brother's a broker now and currently, is you've got to follow 100 to 200 companies for 200 people. You can't focus, right? And you're taking a lot of risk and it's more market risk than anything else for the most part as a broker, which is not your fault. Technically, it's something you can't control. And you, you lose, if you, if you sell too early and it goes up, you've lost, you're, you're you know, you've failed the client or if you if it goes down you fail the client and you know so it was a lose-lose prophecy um yeah. being around my my father and, and dr roman shklanka was inspiring i took geology in high school it was one of my highest marks and during university i told my dad i want to be a geologist he was like no 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 there's no money in geology don't do that and um but but i understood the rocks well and i just got fascinated by the, the treasure hunt and the science and it's something that i've each project I've worked on, I've learned implicitly as, as much as a geologist would, you know, that the way the rocks were formed, you know, what the age of the mineralization is and means and, and why it's so critical, you know, what other minerals were we looking for to see there, what's controlling the high grade. And I became what's dangerously called a market geologist. And, you know, if you're going to finance the rocks you're going to go and drill, you need to know it that well, right? So for me, I just love it. And right now we are a very aggressive exploration group. Um, we're doing this because we like the risk because it brings the big reward and, and size and, and price return matters, right? Um, I don't care if we build a $4 billion company. I care if we get to a $40 share price. And so that that's my object for clients and investors is to try to get to that big return reward and lastly, you know, that the social impact is massive. And, you know, one thing is money and it's very important. We need it for the world to go around. It's why people invest. But in our first mining scenario, we impacted 8,000 people. And I learned about the social aspects and how to behave, you know, and, and get complimented for our behavior there and how much impact it's gonna have on people. And when you see the long-term positive effects of what you can do from upgrading health or educational or train, training workforces for, for sustainable things that can last for decades to come, it, it's very, very gratifying. So it's it's a double-edged sword, but again, I, I wake up every day to go drill a huge discovery and that needle of what moves a big discovery for us has gone up way higher because we're mature in our careers, although at a, at a relatively young age. 
and you know it's harder to find them there's a few big ones left and we're, we're taking on that that awesome challenge yeah you you must be a sponge for learning because it seems like you've um really come along on a lot of different learning curves yeah, I've had great mentors uh, along the way. And, you know, to think that you could pave your own path without listening to smarter people than you would be a mistake. Um, yeah. From that side of things, um, a geological mentor is massive. It's critical. It was the first one I had. And then I got the luxury of meeting and doing business with people like Lucas Lundin, uh, the Lundin family, very winning mm-hmm. family um, yeah. back in the days. Um, probably had the best experience early on there where the investment for, for Mr. Lundin went extremely well and he toasted me at a dinner that I still remember to this day because it, it triggered this internal ambition and drive to go do so much more. And then from that, I got a chance to meet um, Ross Beattie and uh, Ross Beattie, the, the broken slot machine as they, as they call them, uh, extremely classy gentlemen, both of them extremely sharp, extremely smart. And, uh, you know, these are people that I'm I'm very honored that I had a chance to even cross paths with, you know, besides the fact that they were investors. Um, from that, the, the strength of raising capital raised probably around 800 million as needed since Sean and I started working together. And that comes from, you know, a lot of internal talent. I think that was the talent that I brought in, you know, share structure, building out good share structures, raising capital, but a gentleman by the name of Rob Sally, who was a, a big broker at Dundee that financed Friedland Lucas and Ross, and you know he's opened a lot of doors for us. Um, this gentleman, you know, took me on early when I was back with Roman, you know, a bit under his wing, and I just listened, and you listen to smart people, and you, you start doing smart things, and eventually, you know, became partners in the deals that we're doing. So I think people yeah. around you that are smarter than you are paramount, and if you like what you're doing enough, you take it serious enough, and you aim for the long-term success, you can win for investors a lot over time. Yeah, somebody said that you're the sum total of the five people that you spend your most time with, and it sounds like uh, that parable is is very much true in your case. I'm sorry, the, the which, the sum total? Yes, yes, yeah. that is exactly, yeah, 100%. Yeah, that, that's great. And, and so these days you are um, keeping busy with four different exploration companies that you've co-founded. And tell me a little bit about why four different companies instead of a single one and what are the benefits, maybe the drawbacks too. Yeah, so the, well, uh, I didn't want to have four. Uh, that is quite a few. Um, yeah. Started with um, with Orin Resources, which when we went out to go find the world's next biggest mine, and we, we did this with the former global exploration team from Newmont. So a lot of world-class experts, you know, people that ran the heads of their departments in the geological end of, of Newmont. Um, we came up with three different opportunities, copper, gold, and silver, all in one company. And in the exploration business, you can't get paid for all three in one company. And you can't appeal to silver-only investors if you have gold and copper, vice versa. Uh, on the other metal, yeah, right? so, yeah. so we, we ran into, oh, we had a good valuation, but we ran into what's your favorite project? You know, what's the fundamental project behind the company? There's too much going on. And we had a five, six million dollar burn rate to maintain all of that. And we were in two different sides of the, uh, the, the equator, you know, north and south. So as we got into COVID and, you know, our whole ploy was to go spend hard, go get all the best real 
real estate before this bull market that we all advertised for a decade was coming. We wanted to get the best things and be drilling them as this market picked up and took off. And so we saw three metals. COVID was the opportunity. We decided we'll split Orin into three companies. And that's how we formed Fury Gold Mines, which is public. It's trading on the Toronto and New York uh, Amex under the symbol F-U-R-Y. We have uh, Tier 1 Silver, which just started trading in June. And then we have Sombrero Resources, which won't trade probably until Q4 sometime. And uh, they represent gold, silver, and a massive copper opportunity. And the fourth company is a company called Torque Resources, which Sean is running, my partner. And Torque was something we started back in 2010, uh, the same time we started Caden and Oren. And, you know, Sean and I have a commitment. Once we start a company, we don't stop until that company is successful. And, you know, that's the kind of energy and drive and, and ambition we give our shareholders, right? So that company is about 11 years, 12 years old, and it's finally getting into some world-class assets here shortly. And uh, so it's it's the four companies. I'm more responsible for the first three. Sean has torque by the horns. He's, he's taken that one on and doing some amazing things, which we'll hear about in, in short order. But, um, you know, for my hat, I wear a chairman hat on both Fury as well as on Tier 1 Silver. And then I'm actually going to be the CEO of Sombrero Resources, which which is a lot of work. And you ask me why and you know how many companies. Um, I, I like to work 18 hours a day. You know, <laughs> lifestyles. No, um, we have a really good team, and uh, and it really this business is about the people you surround yourself with. You know, professionals. Specifically, I'll start with the technical team. Um, two two gentlemen, Dave Smithson and, and Michael Henriksen. They were called gold ninjas at Newmont when they led the team that took a hopo from eight to almost 30 million ounces of gold in Ghana. Um, they work with some other world-class, world-renowned experts, you know, uh, Kim Cook, she's globally considered probably the premier geophysicist globally. Um, you know, Antonio Rebus is on our board. He was the former chief geologist of both Newmont and BHP, our VP of Geosciences for BHP, held very high levels, and a series of other geologists that have specific backgrounds. They're all specialists. Michael was a global structural geologist for Newmont. Dave was a global mapper. So when you have that kind of horsepower in under the hood in the engine, you get the ability to go and compete and compete properly for the big races, right? And uh, and that's yeah. really yeah. you. Um, administratively, you know, running four companies is a lot of work. Um, amazing CFO, amazing administrative team. Mm. Everybody in our company is is like a family member to me. And when I go to work, I'm, I'm with my second family per se in a very positive way. And yeah. we have this culture of, of work ethic. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, you know, what's the secret and, and how do you do so much and what do you do? It's really the work ethic that everyone gives us around us. I try to lead by being the hardest worker, and I, that's that's my leadership style in the group. And people see that because I email people at three, four in the morning, and, and my party days are well behind me. <laughs> you know, I'm fantasizing about an exploration drill hole or, or a project we want to acquire, or there's some business that needs to be done, and I, I haven't been able to sleep that night. But you know, the team is really what makes separates us from a lot. And we try to keep our, our team at the level, professional level of a major mining company. When it comes down to technical, we try to be as professional as we can with our financials. And you know, this draws in some really high quality investors. We get a very good valuation compared to our peers when we go explore something. And then we have an incredible marketing ability that you know 
something I also enjoy a lot. If there's something really good to say, it's, it's going out there and saying it. But shareholders need to make money if you have a success. So we balance that out between technical as well as market performance. And uh, so far, we've, we've, we've done well that way for shareholders. Yeah, that, that's great. That uh, reminds me of a social event that I was at in Colombia a few years ago with uh, clients. And one of the client's wives asked me, well, Brian, what do you like to do in your spare time? And as her husband stepped in and said, darling, I think you're asking him the wrong question. This gentleman sends me emails at three and four in the morning. He doesn't have spare time. <laughs> so I can, I can understand that. And the I, I read a book by the Dalai Lama, and he said, it's a lot easier to get up and go to work if you think to yourself, I got to go help my friends. Yeah. And that's, that's just a great attitude to have. You said it's your second family. Yeah. It, it makes a difference. You know, that's a good point. I like the Dalai Lama's comment because um, I, I enjoy seeing everybody right down to the receptionist upwards and just being involved and, and people pull so hard. And when you're pulling 150% yeah. and everyone around you is pulling 150%, yeah. it's good culture and very proud of that because that's not as common apparently as, as one would assume. And uh, it's fun, you know, great people make great things happen. So it's, it's been fun for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I understand that tier one silver just uh, recently listed in the Canadian market for something like 175 million Canadian. And you don't, you don't even have a resource or a drill hole on the project. Tell me about that. No, we have something much better. We have an opportunity at making a world-class discovery, you know, yeah. something that, that would really stand out there amongst other mines globally. Um, real kind of concise point of view, we're on a, we have a project called Curry Bio. There's four projects in the company because our design is take big risks, big swings, have multiple opportunities to fall back on if the first one is not there to mitigate the risk and give each the shareholders multiple chances at, at making that big success. But Curry Baya took us by storm. We acquired it about four and a half years ago. And Michael and Dave looked at us and said, hey guys, this is a world-class belt. Some of the largest mines in the world are just you know, 40 kilometers away from this. There's a trend of these huge copper gold mines, albeit. And you know, we did a survey where they'd go in the streams and they'd take sediments and they did it for 200 kilometers. And they came up with, we should acquire this piece of ground called Curry Baya. It was ground that Anglo let go of in the bear market when majors were shedding ground. Um, we owned a third of it at the time. Another portion was owned by an Australian junior called Wild Acres and Tech owned the third portion. We got into a three-way, you know, kind of gridlock of wanting to all consolidate it. And so uh, something I learned well from my previous chairman or geologist, Romish Glanka, Dr. Romish Glanka was, there's nothing better than patience when negotiating or looking for an acquisition. Mm. What, what happened there was, the tech finally surrendered their claims because they didn't have a big enough piece of it of consequence to Wild Acres. Wild Acres had a bit of multi-kilo silver on the surface and they actually went bankrupt and became a hearing aid company out of Australia called New Hearer. And uh, I had the luxury of you know negotiating with the CFO from a hearing aid company for their mining claims. And we, we actually were very, very fortunate in that negotiation, getting it for about a quarter million dollars. but. We were the first ever to consolidate this land position on this belt. 
and we proceeded to find a jewelry box of silver and gold. You know, there I'll take the highlights, 80 samples run from half a kilo of silver up to 300 kilos in silver on veins and on surface that we've sampled. The gold numbers, about 60 samples run from two grams to 934 grams gold which is truly some of the highest grades I've ever seen, you know, on something that's never been drilled on a world-class belt. This, these veins all emanate from one area that is getting bitter, bigger as I'm talking to you now. It's gonna be about four by five square kilometers with thousands of veins coming out of this area. And, you know, we, we looked at things, the important things like the age of the rocks and what we wanted to know there was this the event that was the event that created those big mines up the belt? And it is. It's Paleocene. It's about 59 million years, million years old. Those are base metal systems. This one on surface is definitely precious metal. It's the first ever one on this belt. But you're in the belt of these elephant-type discoveries. You have the, the mineralization, the grade, which is so important to see. And then you have the age of the rocks being the same as the big ones. So it comes next to how do you guess what's beneath the surface? We, we did something called geophysics and, and magnetics, aeromag. And this is putting electrical currents into the ground. And if there's sulfide materials, which could be gold, silver, pyrite, a lot of different metals would give off a signature. It gave us this big glow down about 500 meters, 450 meters from surface mm. that would glowing to the surface. Mm. And as you go down deeper, it gets stronger. And then you have these fingers coming up the surface, which we've described as feeder structures. So what is this? It's 700 meters vertically from surface of a target. Wow. And you've wow. got a jewelry box on the surface. So now you've heard a little bit of how we got to this $170 million market cap. And it's never seen a drill hole before, which is my favorite part. I, I love things <laughs> that are new. I love, I love that they're new, that high grade. Yeah. Belts and stuff. Yeah. It's like out of a book, you know, of how this story came together. And lastly, we're drilling it right now. We're down almost 500 meters approaching that huge target. And there's not much to say that's that's going to keep credibility with drilling, except for from what we've seen in terms of silica, veins, and all kinds of things. It's advertising very well as though we have a very good shot at finding something significant. Um, assays won't be out till August sometime, but on the first hole. We have 40 holes permitted and there's so many parts of the system to go drill. So one hole won't kill it, but one hole could definitely make it if you hit the right mineralization. And that's the kind of project that'll take a year of drilling to see if it's not there. And I'll take one hole to see that it's there. And, and this, again, as a, as a serial exploration, as somebody that fantasizes about huge exploration upside, this really takes the cake. And if you look at Peru, there's Yanacocha, 60 million ounce epithermal gold deposit, the largest in the world. Yeah. You look at these big porphyries, these are big mines. This is the country with the big ones. And having so much grade to start with is, it's always the answers all the hard questions in geology. So that's, that's a good starting point. This is really my most exciting exploration project in drilling because it's never seen a drill hole. We're virgin drilling it and it's got so much potential. Yeah, that that is, uh, that's pretty amazing. And so you've got a lot of really interesting and exciting projects going on, exploration work, but it's uh, Sombrero Resources that you chose to be the CEO of. What, what about Sombrero hooked you? So, uh... Um, I guess I had the choice, right? And it's like asking, I have two two children and yeah. I had to choose my favorite, right? <laughs> in, in the case of Orrin, we had three children. 
So if I could have been the CEO of Fury Gold Mines, I would have done it in a New York second. Um, love the Canadian gold projects, the plan, the starting point. There are ounces there, but Committee Bay is in Fury, which we're going to drill here this summer. And that is my favorite gold project globally. We spent $60 million getting closer, and I think we're going to come out with a huge one up there. Um, secondly, Tier 1 Silver, I've wanted a silver project since I was entering the business because they perform better than any of the other metals with the equity performance and valuations. It's a rare, rare return that you get from silver, which trumps even gold stocks on, on a good day. I guess the leverage in the silver price is, is more compelling that can really accelerate your investment. And there's an industrial application to silver, right? So I really wanted to do tier one silver, but again, somebody had to do sombrero and I'll get there in just a moment. Um, I relinquished the, the reins of CEO to Peter Dambicki, who I recruited from the brokerage side. And I'm a former broker myself because we had the technical team or we have it. We have the really strong admin CFO part of the team. We wanted somebody that could, you know, raise blood pressure for good reason and really monetize a big success if it happens. And even though I'm going to help out as much as possible, it's, you know, Peter's very market friendly, strong market background, understands the marketing world extremely well. So he compliments the team in the one place we needed it. And that allowed me to go and be the CEO of the unlisted Sombrero. So Sombrero, you know, is... I've described or we've described tier one silver as the best undrilled silver project globally and could be the one. Sombrero is advertised as the best copper copper gold discovery globally and it was the actual pearl of Warren. It carried the entire 250-300 million dollar market cap. When we split the company it was with Sombrero that we were all talking about and, and what's so compelling about it it's next to a series of big copper mines. In particular, one is called Las Bombas, which is about 1.6 billion tons yeah. of 0.6. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's huge. About $80 billion ore body. And, you know, again, this part of Peru where Sombrero exists is in an area where everyone stopped looking west of those big mines because there was volcanic cover and they gave it the rocks too young. The government did in a survey. Mm -hmm. We saw some erosion windows again the age dating so paramount so important and we age dated the rocks to be the exact same as las bombas and a series of other major mines and then we got one one more step forward with sombrero that tier one doesn't have yet was an iron or steel company called the cerro Sarakipa. they drilled a couple holes looking for iron deposit and they've hit you know 100 plus to 200 meters of 0.6 roughly copper gold equivalent and that fingerprinted a 12 kilometer target, which is only in the first two or four major targets that exist at Sombrero. And so that gave us the confidence plus trenching a couple hundred meters of half percent, 0.7% on surface in some of those targets. It gave us the confidence that it's very low risk and very probable that there's a monster here. And, you know, Sombrero has been the one where we've had eight or nine major mining companies come they all want to invest and have a seat at the table before we drill it. It's it's had all of that intense kind of corporate interest and everything. Until now, tier one's actually catching up very quickly because of what we're finally on to and we're drilling there. Yeah, yeah. But for Sombrero, I was I am amidst a lot of discussions with major mining companies. I'm amidst a lot of, you know, a long community access negotiation that we've been working towards patiently. We're almost two and a half years into getting access. And if I was to leave Sombrero and do any of the other companies, it would have been far too disruptive 
you know, I like them all the same, but the most disruption would have been if I left Sombrero. So yeah, yeah. that's the reason why. And, you know, um, I think Sombrero will list in September, October of this year. And, you know, the first thing people will see there is we get to trench the next big target next to where we're going to, you know, be drilling and both will be probably drilled at the same time. But people will see some ridiculous grades of copper over massive widths and trenching and gold and stuff like that. And, you know, it's an easy one. You don't have to be a geologist to walk on 12 kilometers of copper and gold and assume there might be a deposit underneath your feet, right? Right. <laughs> so, right. so that's why yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Well, that, that's great. Uh, that's, that's, that's quite a story. And, and it seems like there's a lot of stuff going on in your organization. And it's going to be a busy year or two or, or 50 years. I, I don't know where you put the finish line. But So do you, do you intend to turn each of these into mines or you don't really have any specific plans of selling or mining? Great question. And the best thing that we could do as an exploration focus group is to sell it because yeah. we're not... We don't have engineers intentionally. We don't carry that burn rate mm -hmm. of the mine workers on the team. Yeah. Um, we've demonstrated in Keegan that we can convert a discovery into a producing mine. So we are knowledgeable enough to do that intelligently and build a mine if we have to. Notice that I said if we have to, it's not my passion. And, and, that, and I, won't, yeah. I don't do this for a job. I do this out of enjoyment, right? Yeah, so good for you. Yeah, and this points to why do we go after such big opportunities? Why are we trying to find a Las Bombas or a Yanacocha? And I mean, that's extreme 60, but if something big in sure. tier one silver, right? Why are we trying to find a big mine at Committee Bay? It's because that answer that or that to that question you just asked it gets answered for you, because the major mining companies they're in a drought of discoveries. They're facing pipeline challenges going forward, and you know the, the writing's on the wall. If we make the discovery that we're advertising to go make, and so I, I think our answers would be said if we could sell all four of our companies in this bull market at ridiculous returns that would be the the grand slam plus one right because it'd be four versus three in the baseball analogy um i think if sombrero's there it would be gone very quickly i think if tier one silver i mean first hole comes back in august if, if things start going there 20 30 holes out it's probably gone just as fast or faster i think that drilling committee bay in fury this summer eau claire is getting bigger you know i think there's some really good opportunities there that that could turn the corner and that could be gone. I think that we're going to run out of companies or I hope that we run out of companies, you know, in, in the coming 12 months. And then lastly, Torque. Torque doesn't have its big one yet, but there's two monster assets we've gone after in Chile. And we're being confident that we think we're going to get them this summer and they'll be in the same ballpark as Sombrero or Tier 1 or Committee Bay. That's the kind of caliber you're going to see there. So for us, you know, I'd love to sell at least one or all of them if possible and then do it again, you know, and you said 50 years, <laughs> I hope I live that long, but yeah. I would, I'd probably be a little bit more passive in terms of future roles. And the only reason being is I'm a family man yeah. and uh, the team is, is really good and it's growing. And there's a lot of people here that will be promoted from within to do this for us or with us going forward. So that's the plan. That's the strategy. And uh, the assets are big enough and the timing is right. And uh, now we just need to drill the truth machine to, to tell us what we want to hear. Yeah, that, that that's awesome. And I know most of the major mining companies fully admit that 
they're they're best off to let the exploration be done by the exploration companies and they do their investing in those once in a while to make sure they keep uh keep the drills turning and stuff like that so hopefully uh, one of these things comes to fruition for you and you can keep having fun with the other the others and and then go find the the next the next big one yes so exactly. good that's a good position to be in well, you know, it was, it was a lot of foresight in, and Sean and I looked at each other about five, six years ago when after Caden and Oren started. And I mean, we did really well in the bear market. So we reinvested and yeah. I put a lot of money back into Oren. That was where I focused most of my investing. So I had a, a very strong level of commitment into driving this all forward. And what I figured was back to my beginning of our podcast, Warren Buffett analogy being a contrarian. Yeah. I bet really heavy before the turn experiencing COVID and metals. And I bet really heavy to go in with multiple companies to do what we're doing now does not work in a bear market. I don't, you need 45 hours a day, somebody in my position, and there's no way you have it, but to do it going into a, a good market and to be lined up with the right assets, which can take two years to acquire, a year to acquire, as most of our investors have seen, you know, our timing is impeccable. You bet heavy into a winning hand, and then you have a chance to mitigate your risk and, and deliver a huge, huge return for shareholders. So I think we've got the cycle really, really right here. And I think raising capital is gonna come at a, at a lot, lot more ease with a lot of good investors that are looking at the space. And I think if we make those discoveries that I've advertised here with you today, I think there, there, there's going to be a reward that we've dreamed about as, as shareholders and as executives that we're going to be very proud of. And many people will talk about hopefully for decades to come. And uh, yeah. so that's, yeah. that's how well it all fits together. Yeah. So I, I think I just have one more question for you. And that is, do you normally take these to a PEA level or, or do you plan to would you prefer to sell before that? Um, well, if we drilled five of the best holes into a project and somebody offered us a check at a magnitude of our share price, that would be the that'd be the shortest yeah. job to yeah. that goal for shareholders and for ourselves. So I'd say that we'd like to be in the state of, of potentially selling it before PA. However, what's more important to us than what study or how many drill holes we do is what we get paid for our shareholders right yeah. so where i'll take that to is there's always a, a part in a project where you hit a risk shifting where it goes from like real obvious growth to like okay it's now going to get a little bit more challenging mm -hmm. yeah and you've got to leave a lot on the table for the next guy so there's a formula that works internally of when you should sell it if you're going to sell it if you have what somebody might want right so we want to de-risk things to create a ton of value in our share price and create a valuation that everybody would love to get bought out at and the major who buys us we want to make sure that they can double what we have or more they have the upside yeah they have the hard yards of building a mine and that's what they do but they but they've been de-risked enough and they have the upside going forward so everyone can win. We can win for our shareholders for taking the haul, the risk upfront. They can win for taking a de-risked asset that can go the distance and they can get a lot more ounces and look really smart for the transaction. Yeah. So that, that, that's the perfect model there. So to answer your question, a PA, if it's necessary to show off the value of something, happy to do it if it's secretive and you know, but if 
if we get taken out in the first 50 holes, you know, that would be that would be good because it means it's really big and everyone sees how obvious the growth would be on that asset. So that, that's the goal. I think 50 yeah. holes or less is, is going to be yeah. my benchmark. Yeah, that, yeah that, that's terrific. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Uh, you know what? Um, exciting business, exciting yeah. times. And yeah. I know a lot of people watching this podcast, you know, it's really easy to catch up and forget about the decade that we've all been waiting for, for this market to start, right? It all kind of started last summer with COVID and the metals, right? We're seeing a really high stock market. We saw Bitcoins. We saw every distraction from a resource bull market. But what no one's talked about, and this is something that I, I really love about time and point of everything we're talking about. I love that there hasn't been many huge discoveries for a long time. And I look back 22 years, you have to look that far back. All the easy ones have been found. Yeah. The, the big rock sticking out of the ground, that's a mine. Those have been found, they've been mined or they're being built as mines. It's harder now. This is next level exploration. It's gonna be more about the luck you've earned and create or the intelligent, you know, contrarian approach of, of getting real estate and getting into places like Sombrero where no one's ever been before or drilling something like tier one that no one's ever drilled before that's gonna probably achieve the best returns that you could get. So I just wanna emphasize for everyone watching the timing to somebody that's a veteran that's been long enough, 20, 20 years in the business, the timing is one, that things are harder to find, there's gonna be better returns on things that you do find on the people that are organized and have been ready to find these things, but the market's gonna get exciting. The next two years is gonna be the most exciting two years of the last 12 years, and that's how I feel. So timing is right, and uh, just have fun with it because uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of other discoveries made, or a few at least, and uh, I think we're all looking forward to those those big returns finally that, that we've seen in the past. Yeah, perfect. That that sounds sounds, sounds great. And uh, what about any uh, key takeaways or, or pearls of wisdom? What can you leave us with there? I think perseverance is the most important ingredient, and we have a lot of that. And you know, yeah. it's really tough to wait four years for something to work. But in our history, Keegan took four years before it got to $9. We sold Caden in four years. At this stage of, of Orin, you know, we're a little bit longer than four years, but we've swung a lot bigger. And, you know, the risk is worth it. Everything that we have endured and, and the patience we've asked our shareholders for, what we have in front of us is worth it. So I would say as an investor, you have to be patient and you have to persevere and just make sure the resource investor or investment that you're going into, make sure it has a size because size does matter and it will win more than a discovery if it's a big discovery. And, and that's certainly what we advertise. So perseverance, patience and go really big. Yeah, no, that's terrific. Yvonne, I really appreciate your time today. And one of the reasons I do this podcast is to make myself a little bit smarter. And you've helped me uh, get just a little bit smarter today. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it was great doing the podcast with you. Yeah, thanks. And uh, hopefully we can run into each other once the borders are opened up and planes are flying and stuff like that. Absolutely. I think we have conferences this fall. So uh, if I catch yeah. up, why not look? Take your hand and meet you in person. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Yvonne, thanks again and uh, all the best to you and thanks for coming on. Thank you so much.
Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rockin'.